Okay, welcome back. So this is this is episode three of the podcast. Uh, we had Ryan from DSX Motorsports and Tasso from OTC Racing in the shop again. And uh, for this episode, uh, Ryan was actually fresh, freshly back from uh, PRI. Um, so that was that was the kind of the first uh, big topic of discussion. I just kind of wanted to pick his brain, see what he saw, see what was cool, all that sort of good stuff. Um, the other thing is, uh, Roger Clark Motorsports has been releasing a picture day for the month of December um, of their new race car Gobstopper 3. So we've been all, you know, looking at all of those uh, pictures with, with great detail, uh, trying to figure out what they're doing and, and see how they did what they did. So that was was pretty much the, the second big topic, but there's lots of, lots of good stuff in here. Uh, make sure you stay tuned to the end. If you like this podcast, if you like what we're doing here or trying to do with these podcasts, Please like and subscribe. Um, if there's, if we have any luck, uh, by the time this episode goes up, uh, the podcast will be up on iTunes. So that should make it a lot easier to follow. Hopefully, um, yeah. So definitely follow us there, and uh, you know, and check out FlatironsTuning.com. That's the best way to support us and, and make sure that we keep coming back and making contact content for you guys. So um, thanks very much for listening. Hope you guys like this this uh, new thing that we're doing, and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Wait till all the phones start ringing because we made a post about it on Instagram. Yeah? Well, I guess that's one way to go. That's just making a move <laughs> Alright, we are recording. The podcast has started. Oh, man. Leave the dialogue to the actors. Yeah. We're, we're all professionals here? <clears throat> well, oh, is this going to be a family show this time there, Tasha? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm professionally, un- I'm professionally unemployed. You know how hard it is? Um, Some people turn down six-figure jobs. Yeah. I just get fired from them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> people. Oh, this has already started this wrong. Started wrong. Positive. <laughs> this is, uh, first thing John says, let's keep this positive. Uh, this is quite the start. Oh, man. Well, lock it up. There are fun things happening in the world of Subarus, though, right? Printer. Yeah, let's let's talk about, so Ryan, you were just in PRI. Let's, let's start there. Let's talk about some of the cool stuff that you saw. Oh, yeah. So, uh... A lot of cool stuff there. Tons. I've never been, so this is my first year. But one of the cool, tons of cool things there. Things that I thought were awesome that A or AIM just came out with their PDM setup. And the PDM setup that they have looks to be sick. Like it's expandable. You can log channels. Like you can see like what if you have a fuel pump running off two of the channels. You can see what kind of amperage load. You got 14 inputs. A beautiful display. Downside is is like their base kit's twenty four hundred bucks, which wow. is about a thousand dollars more than any of the other ones. But it does come with a display, and it easily seems more capable than any of the other ones. But then Haltech turned it up to like eleven, and decided that not only would they come out with a brand new ECU uh, and a brand new display, but they'd also make that a dual wideband controller with a PDM built in. So I don't know how much that's going to be. I don't think that's going to come out till March. But that thing is insane. So Why? this is, this is an, an add-on to an existing Hilton? No, yeah. it's an all-new ECU. Their brand-new ECU oh. is basically yeah. built-in PDM. So it's mm-hmm. it's wild. It's a pretty good chunk. I mean, it's probably about like uh, 5 inches by 8 inches, so it's a pretty big unit okay. versus their, like, their Elite, which is like 4 inches by 5 inches. You probably know, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's not very big. <laughs> yeah, you have, you've got the little Elite. That makes sense. <clears throat> but uh but yeah so that was pretty cool so to see like the pdm technology something i've been interested in 
-hmm. see the PDM technology kind of like take these big leaps forward was okay. pretty sweet. Well, just just to be clear for anybody that doesn't know, what do you what do you mean by PDM? Explain. So, what is the power distribution module? Yeah, yeah. thank you. Power distribution module. Okay. Why don't you tell us about it there? Well, I don't know a lot about the PDMs, but just the advancement of technology and the ECUs is something that's really cool to look at. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I have a Haltech Elite in my hill climb car, and uh, I was thinking about it when I when I installed it. The ECU that came out for the you know the GD factory ECU was probably designed. The GD was released in what '02 in mm -hmm. this country, right? So probably the technology that's in that thing is from about the year 2000, mm -hmm. right? So if you can think, that's a time in technology where we were worried about whether or not the switch to zero zero for a year was going to freak the, and that cause the entire world to shut down, right? The Y2K yeah. thing. That's where technology was at that point, when that ECU was being developed. Yeah. And now the ECU that's in my car was built in like January of 19, right? Yeah. So think about even five years ago how much different cell phones were yeah. versus, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so the, the technology and the ECUs these days is it's amazing. It's it's cool to see. It's an interesting point. Yeah, updating updating the computer that's running the car to something that is like current generation, mm -hmm. like a current generation computer. Because, yeah, the, the, the 2 liter WXs, their ECU is a 16-bit ECU. Right. You know, talking to the guys at Cobb, you know, like, hey, do you think you'd ever be able to have a GD flex fuel system and they're like no wow, yeah. the, the computer just that, 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 you almost has gears inside of it making it work yeah. like a, a little a little uh, <laughs> hamster <laughs> right. hamster on a wheel yes yeah, yeah, so there's like magnetic yeah. tape that scrolls Poly back and forth like Poly a pockets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. james bond villains headquarters yeah. or something like that in there but yeah the, so yeah. the pdm takes that technology another level where now you've got basically a computer that controls your entire wiring system right no right. more fuses no more right. relays you know and uh, and that's all done and programmed you can program it to work with the ECU where it's certain coolant temperatures it's making things happen. Mm -hmm. Now the brushless technology with fuel injectors, that was something you saw a bunch out there. A bunch okay. of brushless fuel injectors out there. Like that stuff can be further controlled even smoother with with um, the PDM technology. So like Haltech's really gonna be able to take advantage of that, you know, yeah. having that built in and like that's brushless fuel pumps. They had a right. bunch of those out there and those things like how they can ramp up with the pulse the, yeah. the pulse drives and stuff is Awesome. I was reading some some things about those. Those are going to be the new hot thing mm -hmm. at some point in the not too distant future. Brushless yeah. pumps. Yeah. yeah. Brushless brushless uh, fuel pumps. Yeah. yeah. Brushless fuel pumps. So I mean, super cool stuff. So yeah. So that was one of the things that PDMs. I definitely several companies coming out with those. Like AIM coming out with their own. Yeah. Um, and uh, and of course the integration into uh, Haltech because they don't have a PDM. I don't think right now. Mm. Um, I think uh, Motec has a PDM that they sell with theirs, like you can buy. Yeah. With their like M130 or M150 or whatever you can add on, but that's pretty cool. ECU Masters has one that they kind of have. I don't know if they really put out a whole bunch of new stuff, but either way, so the PDM stuff was super cool. Um, it was fun to see at PRI the sequentials, like actually get to play in touch with them. Yeah. So we. Well, any other, just let me just have there just real quick, because it occurs to me we should probably explain what PRI is just real quick. Oh yeah. So it's the uh, basically a big convention. It's it's kind of like a scaled down but more motorsport geared and driven um, SEMA. So PRI stands for uh, performance, performance racing industry. industry. Yeah, yeah. And it's so it's it's a show where it, it's it's the 
the focus of it is for motorsport, for mm -hmm. competition. And so all of the vendors that come there and the people that go there, it's, it's to look for, like they build parts for race cars and there's mm -hmm. people that have race cars looking for parts and mm -hmm. things. And so you get a lot more of the cutting edge motorsport grade Absolutely. things that show up there. Absolutely. SEMA yeah. without the lifted trucks. Yeah, right. I mean, to just put it in the perspective that uh, as big as SEMA is, how, how more serious PRI is, and Haltech didn't release their new ECU until PRI, even though yeah. they were at SEMA. So, yeah. I mean, they know and recognize that that's where a lot of the like the big players in the industry are at. Yeah. You realize how small the import scene really is, too, because it's mostly drag racing and dirt track, circle track stuff. But that being said, the who's who of, you know, import performance parts are there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a really neat show. But so let's let's jump back to then. You said sequential transmissions. There's a bunch mm -hmm. of people there that now had options that you saw. Yep, absolutely. So you saw everything like from the high end, uh, say Dev and Hollinger's, all the way down to like PPG and everywhere in between. Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty interesting. I mean, being part of the Time Attack world, where sequentials are going to be a thing going forward, and you know, class yeah. allowances. Like you saw everybody over there. You saw De Eric Dewey Dewitt over there looking at him. You saw the IAG guys looking at him. Yeah. And, Kind of everybody was checking out all the different sequentials and stuff that were there. So that was, for me, pretty cool to actually see the guts, you know, yeah. and actually see what these things are made out of and how different companies do different things and stuff. So Well, since since you mentioned it, let's, because sequentials have become, like, there's a, there's a ton of people that are using their cars to compete, that are mm -hmm. competing in, you know, grid life and whatnot, that all of a sudden sequentials are, are a big focus. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe talk a little bit as to why that's the case. Um, the biggest reason is the case is it, it the allowance is hoping to re-level the playing field with all these newer cars coming out of PDKs yeah. and uh, DSG transmissions. Like a, a stock GT4 Cayman, you know, their shifting profile and everything makes it so hard for an H-pattern car to keep up with. Yeah. And so the sequentials are hopefully to help kind of level the playing field a little bit. I mean, the DSGs are still incredible what they can do. But the advantage over a sequential isn't as big versus over an H pattern synchro mesh gearbox. Yeah. So I mean that's the biggest reason is to try and help, try and help make the older cars that are like really popular. You know. Yeah. Um, like the S two thousands and the Evos and the Subarus, basically catch back yeah. up. You know, with uh, the modern technology. It, it's such an it, it's such an interesting transition that has happened because it used to be that these these cars that were that were classed. You know, there were street cars. Mm -hmm. You know, they they were were not allowing sequentials mm -hmm. because hey, well, if somebody wants to go out there and spend the money to put a sequential in, it's enough of an advantage mm -hmm. that that now anybody else that doesn't have that is going to be you know probably racing for for a low, much lower place. Mm -hmm. So they 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 limited the fields by eliminating that. But now you've got all these cars that are now coming from the factory with these DSGs. Yeah, like we we just uh, worked with Salt and put their Golf R on on the dyno. And it just, you know, what that thing can do just from the factory is crazy. And if people want to go out there and compete in it, and it's, it's a car you can go down to the dealership and buy if you wanted to. Yeah. You know, that's it. But if, you know, if you've got a Subaru that doesn't have that, well, you know, you figure, I mean, the rationale for the sequentials, why it's an advantage is, you know, a manual transmission, if you're very good, mm -hmm. you're probably taking two to three tenths of a second to shift. Mm-hmm. And the sequentials can do it in like a fraction yeah. of that. 60 milliseconds, so six yeah. tenths, like six 
hundredths of a second. Right, right. <laughs> and that's a slow one. And that's that's you every know? time, you yeah. know, that, that you shift. And so if you're going around a circuit and you're shifting, say, 150 times, mm -hmm. you know, in a lap, you know, times two tenths of a second. Yeah. They, they're also taking into account the, the downshift and yeah. the automatic blip. Yep. And, I mean, the amount of time that you can lose in just a downshift alone um, is huge, especially yeah. if you don't rev match correctly. Yeah. I mean, it eliminates all those factors. Um, it takes... The sad thing is, is it takes some of the the thrill of driving and, of and some of the, the practiced skill. Practice mm -hmm. skill, there you go. Yeah. But uh, in order to be fast, there's no way around it. Yeah, even, you're, even, you're those, have to do this. even those expert skill drivers are going to be faster on a sequential versus an H pattern. Sure. I mean, there's other latent functions too, uh, focus braking. You know, yeah. so when you don't have to rev match, you can really focus, especially in a car that ABS, focus on that modulation a lot yeah. better and focus on when you're going to hit the brakes and because the timing of your downshift becomes way less critical because yeah. it's doing it on its own. Yeah. And um, and then the other latent function is no more money shifts. Like how many times in my well, Road Atlanta video, yeah. there might be on my fastest lap where I went from fourth to third on accident. Right. You know, and uh, fortunately we didn't have any major failures that time. But yeah, I mean that stuff happens to a lot of people. Sure. You know. Yeah, it's just it's interesting that like. OE manufacturers are coming out with it, and now they're, the the race organized organized commodities are having to let in, mm -hmm. um, you know, the the aftermarket option now for the guys that are wanting to do it. And so now, people that have been spending years developing these cars that didn't come with it, yeah, now they're looking at well, you got to really be at the top of top level competition. You've got to kind of add it. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think they're coming down in price too. There's more yeah. options out there and more options that aren't. They're still expensive, yeah. um, but they're not yeah. exclusively expensive. You don't right. have to be. Uh, it's it's not thirty thousand dollars to put a, to put a sequential gearbox right. in right. a car. Well, it's still thirty thousand dollars, depending on well through say dev or whatever. But right. yeah. it can it can be right. Yeah. But there are retrofitable kits yeah. now into your stock case. Yep. Like uh, Samsonis has got one, PPG's got one, x has got one. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's easier to make the case too. You, we we kind of have an idea how much money we have spent on our race cars, and I know for me, the uh, amount of money I spend in engines, a sequential transmission is still cheaper, and so mm -hmm. people have that idea like, oh, you're gonna, no one wants to like these manufacturers sometimes who could be, under the impression that people who are racing this type of racing who are still on the grassroots level, aren't going to be interested in spending you know eighteen grand on a transmission, whereas like the reality is is. They spent 50 or 60 plus in their cars already, and if that's what it takes to win, I mean, they're going to spend yeah. 15 to 20 grand on a transmission if that's the next the next step. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's it's something where, I mean, you should be, like, let's call it, you pick up a tenth of a second every mm -hmm. time you have to shift. Yeah. So do a, do a lap around the circuit that you're running on it, and mm -hmm. then, you know, count how many times you shift, and then how many tenths of a second per that is it. Yeah. You know, could it could be, you know, a second a mile in a road course so maybe I mean I think I'm just thinking just generally speaking um, Road Atlanta for me I, I haven't counted it but in my head just like just quickly it's about 17 shifts yeah so for the whole track of Road Atlanta and that's a two minute I did it in I don't know sometime yeah some amount of time but you know if it's a tenth or two tenths of a second per shift up and down. I mean, you're that's over a minute. That's or a second. I mean, yeah. several seconds that you can save with a sequential transmission, and so and just 
because of the transmission with no other changes. Yeah. You know, not to mention the latent functions of like the focus braking yeah. or, you know, things like that. Focus braking, focus driving. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just, it's, there's a whole another I mean, another lag of business that you don't Boost have to lag deal. isn't a thing when you just keep the throttle plate wide open the whole time. <laughs> You know, and yeah, the more cool. power you make, you know, it's like there's, Eric. There are strategies there, though. I, yeah. mean, I have flat yeah. foot shifting on in my car it with an H battery gearbox and stuff. It's just yeah. on a clutch switch. Yeah. And it's just a second, or not even a second. It's a tenth of a second of ignition cut. Yeah. Because um, yeah. that's all it takes me to shift a gear. Damn. Yeah. But I'm like I'm a four tenths kind of guy. Really not nice to my transmission <laughs> either. But yeah, logged logged shifts. Um, for you know both boost pressure mm -hmm. and uh, was throttle position before I had the flat foot shifting mm -hmm. and clutch switch and stuff and so I could log log that and see you know before and after how much boost I was losing in a shift mm -hmm. and how long it took and mm -hmm. so I mean I mean not to take away sequentials are badass but yeah um, well yeah, we'd all like to have we'd all like to have yeah. one yeah yeah. <laughs> right. yeah as much as we probably love manual transmission it's yeah. like there, there's also a Almost, well, at least for me, there's an equal draw to a sequential. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that, I'm going to just take a contrarian viewpoint here. <laughs> Devil's for the advocate. Purposes of conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm not really racing because it's in the interest of, I don't know, my team or something like that to be at the cutting edge. Yeah, I like being there and I like winning and stuff, but it's for the fun, right? Yeah. And so. I mean, I don't think anyone here is doing this for anything other than the fun, ultimately, yes. I mean, maybe we try and subsidize our fun a little bit by trying to do the best we can to, sure. you know, um, make it somewhat self-sufficient. But I'm there because it's fun, and part of the fun yeah. to me is going through the gears and Shooting. and yeah. braking without ABS, even though a really high-tech ABS system, yeah. like a true motorsport-grade ABS system, might be better. Um, yeah. But I enjoy feeling like when a tire locks up and feeling that threshold breaking point and I enjoy, you know, left foot braking coming over from the clutch because I have to use the clutch and I'm not on a dog mm -hmm. box or something like mm -hmm. that and, you know, I, I enjoy all those parts of it. So I'm going to go ahead and argue against having a sequential because <laughs> otherwise we're just going to be a bunch of sequential fanboys. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm at least a sequential fanboy. Yeah, I mean, they're cool. I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I do want one, and they're, they're yeah. cool. It, right. the, other, the other thing now that uh, will be interesting to see what happens is more people start retrofitting them into cars. Yeah. Is um, I, my, my feeling is that it's not easy, it's not nearly as easy to get it to be reliable is it is it just a matter of putting the oh yeah sure there's, there's, there's a lot involved when you're talking about throttle lift downshifts mm -hmm. and ignition retarder cut yeah. upshifts mm -hmm. and load sensing you like mm -hmm. everything from tuning what voltage is an actual activation of that load cell on an upshift yeah. or downshift you have to you have to figure that part out you have to figure out how much throttle blip and for how long it yeah. took me I don't know. There, there's a lot of complexity that comes with it. There, there's oh, the yeah. transmission itself, but then to get the transmission to work the way you want it to, mm -hmm. that's a whole other level of complexity that you're bringing to it. So that, you know, and there's absolutely something about a manual transmission and kind of the level of control that you have now over the car. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is like, to, to your point, Tasso, a unique experience. Like when yeah. you really figure out how you can use the transmission to really get the car to do what you want it to do, be it, you know, acceleration, 
you know, engine braking, whatever. And uh, I think there's a lot of room to be made too. Like I make my own um, short shifter mm -hmm. um, for the car, and part of shorting the shift is also for me raising the the shift knob location, right? Mm -hmm. So it, mm -hmm. it's in a really fun, comfortable spot. Like it feels race car-y, it feels mm -hmm. tight because I have it exactly where I want it next mm -hmm. to the wheel. And I mean, that has so much to do with, I think the enjoyment for me is yeah. the location and the feel of that shifter. Yeah. Um, being a good positive, positive feel and just part of the experience I think. And it, yeah. it amplifies that having it in a good location, you know, right? as opposed to just going and getting whatever off the shelf short shift kit, you know, they're yeah. great, right? They'll shorten your shift, um, yeah. but you know, they can also put the shifter way low and then yeah. that lengthens your shift time and it changes the feel and yeah. all that kind it's of all, stuff. It's all part of it. I mean, yeah. I don't know, but they are cool. I mean, who am I kidding? If someone offered me a sequential, it'd be in the car already. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Um, I'm all about my principles until, yeah. until so I'm not. Yeah. Until your soul's up for, one, yeah. up for sale. Right. Everything's for sale. That, uh, so like on that same idea as far as technology and engineering stuff goes, there's actually a company that Max Dara is running called X Nearing, I think is how you say it. Hmm. And uh, those guys can basically help a bone stalker. So say you're running Cobb or say you're running um, something that's not built necessarily for sequential shifting. Yeah. He's got a whole setup that can retrofit to any car with a sequential, with a built-in strain gauge and, mm. and all this stuff. Like basically... Kind of from a management standpoint. Yeah, so you can, uh, and it sets it up, speed by gear even, like how long the gear shift takes depending on like road speed and, and a lot of these things. So you can still integrate a sequential into a regular-ish yeah. car without having to have, feeling like you have to have a MoTeC right. or some really high dollar ECU. Full, full standard. So that well, was pretty cool. And that's one of the cool things I think is, is more, is the demand for those kind of transmissions for, for the, some mm -hmm. of these classes goes up, you know, if mm -hmm. manufacturers sell more of them, hopefully the prices will come down. Mm -hmm. And the more people to put them in their cars, the more people are going to figure out these problems. Yeah. How, you know, what, what actually has to be done to get it installed and working properly. Mm -hmm. And then that just, you know, it, it lowers the bar of entry to, mm -hmm. to you know, the rest of us that, that might want to put it in their car. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, hopefully there'll be a little trickle down. And, and, and knock wood, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed for SCI 2020, 2021 watch, yeah, that Subaru will, will shock the world and actually put a DSG in yeah. there in the SCI. Huh. So I don't know. We'll does see. Toyota already have a DSG? Yeah. Ah, zinger. Uh, <laughs> well, well is, is it Toyota or is it BMW? I don't That's know. true. That's the uh, the Supra, I think, is a yeah. is a uh, torque converter, but. There's not, this is completely unrelated, but yeah. there's already a company in Germany that's doing DCT, like seven-speed DCT conversion kits for Supras that are basically mm -hmm. using the F80, huh. uh, well, I guess the F80 M3 or the M5, uh, the twin-turbo M5 transmission. Okay. I think that's pretty crazy, but anyway. That's wild. That's, that's just out of scope of the conversation, however, yeah. but. There's no scope. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no scope, there's scope no creep scope. for sure. There's no scope. Well, let's let's go back to, to PRI. So we sure. talked to engine management, sequential yeah. transmissions. What are, what other cool stuff did you see? Um, another some of the other cool stuff I saw were the actually just talking to the brake manufacturers. Hmm. Like I talked with AP Racing, talked with uh, Alcon, and of course there was I mean just tons and tons. You had StopTech there. Yeah. I mean you had companies I hadn't even heard of that, like just wild everywhere. So that was pretty cool. 
Um, and it's kind of fun actually, like with StopTech's involvement in uh, Global Time Attack and GridLive to actually see pictures of Time Attack cars in these booths. And uh, mm -hmm. kind of like, it's hopefully someday, you know, Time Attack is a growing sport and it's not obviously where drag racing is or anything like that, but it's fun to be seeing some of those cars taken like as like this is a demo thing and this yeah. is this is the kind of thing you can do with your yeah. brakes or whatever so saw a bunch of that stuff and getting to like hold some of the calipers like the sure. Alcon caliper that they use for the uh, Roger Clark Motorsports setup mm -hmm. talk with those guys talk about um, you know kind of share from the grassroots perspective why the cost um, of consumables is so important like yeah. I feel like we talked about it earlier but I feel like Essex does a really good job with their AP setup, basically building a, a brake package that is affordable to uh, to people who are using it for competition. Yeah, and a like one warrior kind of kind of driver. Right? right. I mean, that's one of the things, right? The AP racing rebuild kits, fifty bucks, unless you completely thrash yeah. the caliper. It's fifty yeah. buck rebuild per caliper. Yeah. When I asked Alcon how much the rebuilds were, they had no idea. Right. When I asked them, and this is talking to a sales guy and two engineers, yeah. you know, when I asked them uh, what their turnaround time was, they had no idea. Yeah. So, I mean, you can definitely see from that perspective, from the AP Racing standpoint, um, that they do take that stuff into consideration. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, PRI, again, it's for, for people that are actually racing their car, right. or seeming that it's a lot more of street, you know, show, mm -hmm. show performance. I mean, the... the Brake kits, there's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the the demands on a lot of street kits is not anywhere near what it is on the track. Yeah. And so companies that are like Alcon or Brembo, because Bre Brembo has both mm -hmm. you know competition series and, and and street series. Same same with AP Racing, but there's there's a big difference in the in the build and the makeup of a competition like a, a real track purpose built caliper mm -hmm. brake system versus something that's more. Yeah. lean towards the street but you know kind of what what you alluded to earlier one of the things that we've realized is you know the thickness of the brake pads you know a lot of these you, you know you see something like uh 25 hours of thunder hill 25 mm -hmm. hours of nurburgring how do these guys do these endurance races like mm -hmm. are they are they coming in and swapping out pads every hour the answer is no <laughs> yeah. uh but it's because the the brake manufacturers have started building, you know, these endurance caliper kits mm -hmm. that have got much thicker pads, much, you know, much rotors that are, you know, less susceptible to wear. Right. And then it's it's starting to trickle down to where, you know, regular enthusiasts can afford these kits. And, you know, it, it's an expensive brake kit, mm -hmm. like, the, like the Essex AP Racing Kit, but mm -hmm. it's designed for, you know, like, really long duration hard use and so all of a sudden the pads last longer the rotors last longer mm -hmm. and that sort of thing so it's it, it's interesting it's one of those things where it's like kind of like with arrow you have track inspired arrow it does something yeah and then you have real arrow well you can have track inspired big brake kits right that are big but they have eight millimeter pads on them and they last a weekend yeah um maybe two weekends if you get lucky at $500 per set of pads, mm -hmm. or you have an actual race uh, brake setup where you're running 25, 28 millimeter pads, mm -hmm. and you're hoping that you're going to get, what, six? Yeah, six or eight, eight races. Races yeah, out of it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe weekends. Yeah. Um, you know, before, at, at, and at $500 a pad set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 
Male? No male? No male. No male. We're, we're all males here. Yes. We mm -hmm. need some more diversity. Maybe next time. That's right. Or better, better with mailman. <laughs> Swing by. Yes. But, and so back to, you know, yeah. if you're spending $500 on a set of brake pads, if it's going to last you a weekend or hopefully eight weekends, I mean, mm -hmm. so, you know, I screwed up. Back in the day, I bought a, essentially a track-inspired set of six-piston Brembo's and a set of pads is $500 and I get maybe two weekends out of them, maybe, and... And to be fair, it, it's held up to the heat and it does stop a car like nobody's business, but the, 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 the longevity of the components is I, different. I, I, you know, I, I have a 32 millimeter rotor versus a 34 millimeter rotor, which is on the... The, the rotor race width. Width, yeah. Yeah, yeah thickness, yeah. Um, thickness, which is you know, heat sink, and I mean, there's all these things to take into account when you're actually looking for a proper race brake setup. And honestly, I mean, my uh, when I look at the price of the endurance caliper pads for the AP Racing at five hundred and fifty dollars a set retail, that last year was like there is absolutely no way in hell I'm going to do make the same mistake and I'm doing this shit all over again. Yeah. But after having the basically the AP Racing setup um, at a pad with a pad that's half the price and seeing how much longer like a properly built setup is or one that's I wouldn't say properly but built for with motorsports in mind yeah it's definitely given me a whole uh new approach to like okay if we're going to do this six piston setup we're going to go with bigger rotors like that's why this is important that's why this is important that's why yeah. this is important and so yeah it might be you know 550 dollars for a set of pads but if they last me six or eight track weekends versus in scotty's case two or three track weekends i mean that's that's Ouch. a tolerable yeah. it's a tolerable you know it's still a tough Pill, pill yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it's an increase in performance too. Like what we're talking about here, though, is the difference between high performance and motorsport grade. Mm -hmm. Right. Motorsport right. grade, it's not just high performance. Right. It's also more easily serviceable. You know, lower consumable costs. Hopefully, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot to motorsports. Like there's. Yeah, you're you're talking about like the radical caliper yeah. from AP Racing, and like there's there's an option there where you can actually swap the pads with no need for tools. Yeah, like yeah, you that thing squeeze, was squeeze that thing a, was sweet. <laughs> plate, pull the backing plate off, yeah. yank the pads out, put in new pads. Right. Yeah. somehow you have to compress the pistons, but that's that's a whole separate problem. Yeah, that's up to the guy with the welding gloves to figure out. That's right. I think that's some, <laughs> that's crazy tools for that. But yeah, just swapping piston or swapping pads with no yeah. need for tools. Yeah. But crack. it's something that's I think considered in every race car, and something that I've learned to look for, and I really enjoy finding. Like elements of this, and that's mm -hmm. just serviceability, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's not just making cars faster; it's making cars more motorsport friendly. Mm -hmm. And it's you know little things like trophy trucks, right? You yeah. know they have all this elaborate cage work and tube work and stuff, but they have ways to get those motors in and out really quickly. Yeah. You can take out sections of cage to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look at how quickly they can do um, transmission swaps and stuff like that in WRC mm -hmm. cars. How long yeah. it takes them to switch from you know a gravel spec to a tarmac spec or yeah. something like that. It's and it's when you know the endurance race cars do have to do pad changes they don't do a pad change they do a corner change yeah and the whole corner comes off with dry brake fittings on the yeah. brake line and stuff yeah. like that right it's it's the consideration for serviceability mm -hmm. not just performance right which yeah. really makes a race car a race car and not just yeah. a fast car and, and we're all Subaru people here I don't want to get too far into the weeds on this but right. I, I would argue that that's that's one of the things that makes the Subaru platform cool because mm -hmm. that that 
platform came out of Subaru's developing the car for WRC. Mm -hmm. In WRC, you have limited time services, and so they kind of built that car and refined that car over the years around their need to be yeah. able to do almost anything that they could possibly need to do in about a 30-minute service, right. mm -hmm. including like transmission swaps and all sorts of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a lot of what you get. Yeah, and even on the grassroots side too. I mean, I'm sure Ryan, um, both of us have done all sorts of stuff to make our cars yeah. easier. Like, how long does it take you to get a motor out of your car? Thirty minutes at yeah, the most. Right, it's about the, about the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. and it's little things like yeah. figuring out where you got to clearance a little bit of this, or what bolts you can get away leaving out, or yeah, the Ryan Turk bolts is what I call those. <laughs> right. Oh man, you know, or, or you know, what what little things you can you can leave on the motor so it all comes out as a package mm -hmm. and it's faster yeah. to work on on the stand versus, you know. Yeah, I mean, everything from exhaust all the way up to transmission, I mean, all of that stuff, mm -hmm. I mean, and then, of course, practice. I mean, those guys sure. at the WRC are yeah. like, yeah. okay, we just hired you as a mechanic uh, when the, we yeah. got to swap the transmission Good out. Luck. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, those guys are also Yeah, there's practice. Yeah, there's getting the tools out. You know, yeah. I know what 10s, 12s, 14s, and 17s it takes on my car to get the motor out. You know, yeah. I, need, I know where I'm going to need this kind of pliers versus that kind of pliers. Yeah, but, but you start working on a German car, which which Ryan you've done a few, oh, yeah. a few times in the past as well, because you've got a couple BMWs. Yeah, it's a different experience. It can be. I mean, for me, honestly, because I'm an old guy, you know, I'm yeah. old timey, and yeah, you know, I got my hobble on crane and cane and stuff, and I've worked on Volkswagens, Mercedes, yeah. uh, limited scope Mercedes, and a lot of older BMWs. Yeah. And for me, I'm really happy with my older BMWs. Hate working on Volkswagens, and mm -hmm. the biggest thing is it's the tools, you know, sure, and the sure. complexity of it and stuff. And, you know, two-wheel drive is always going to be simpler than all-wheel drive. But still, Subarus are still pretty darn easy to work on. Yeah. So in, in the scope of German cars in general. Yeah. Well, let's, let's try and get back to, to PRI. PRI. <laughs> is there anything else cool that shuts? Uh, yeah. PRI? So, uh, you know, I, I like to think that here at Flatirons that we're trying to not just make Subarus great again, but we're trying to get more Subarus involved and make a clear path shine a light on a clear path on how to get your Subaru into motorsports. What doesn't work, what does work, stuff like that. One of the products I saw that I think that like Flatirons really benefit well from, this is actually the first time I think we've talked about it now, but okay. um, is the cages that are being built by AGI. Okay. So it's an Australian-based company. Um, they're opening a warehouse and a, a facility in Virginia to start stocking um, basically cages in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And they've really tried a lot to really revamp their whole cage lineup. So like pretty much the stuff that they brought to uh, to PRI was their new build stuff. Mm -hmm. And even looking at the way that they had them built before, you know, it's more auto power-esque. And now the, these cages they're building are like next level. Like mm -hmm. they're so nice. Like the tongue and groove parts for the uh, uh, the Bolton aspects are like they're so, like their machine tolerance is so mm -hmm. tight. They're almost magnetic it feels like when they like lock in together without yeah. bolts and so I think um, as far as that clear path goes they're designing those cages as a uh, as an enthusiast mm -hmm. install thing so sure. you know my cage a weld-in six-point and obviously an FIA cage is kind of outside of the scope of yeah. a bolt-in setup yeah. but people who want to get into club racing or want to get into you know maybe have a, a roll bar or have yeah. a safer car it's a safer track day this right. a safer yeah. even a yeah. safer track day you know they've right. got yeah. that company has basically got multiple versions for each one of their fitments and obviously these are all, all bolt-in cages all bolt-in yeah. cages really nice like 3d door bars 
really nice 3D uh, um, Halo elements and stuff, and uh, yeah. and so they're basically it's you check the box. Do you have a headliner? Do you yeah. have front interior? They've got like a before the driver and after the driver, mm -hmm. so you can set up your six point with full uh, door cards involved or your four point with headliner involved. So say you want yeah. to do you know a four point bolt in cage so you can get harnesses and stuff and yeah. add a little rollover protection. They've even got models for with and without headliner. Okay. So I think for, for flat irons and for anybody going forward or anybody into uh, like getting into this who don't want to chalk up the big expense of a weld-in cage, which is pretty much a permanent fixture into a car, um, sure. it's really cool that they're going to, they, they're selling a really competitive product that, I mean, it's light years ahead of the auto power product. Hmm. And they've okay. even packaged it to make it easier and cheaper to ship over the auto power the auto power product too okay. which is definitely part of their design model like for the US that's what they're going for going gotcha. after the auto power market share okay and so I think it'd be cool I mean we're Jeanette got one while mm -hmm. we're at the track and so yeah. we're gonna um, hopefully we're gonna install it next week yeah. and try and get some video and stuff to really show how easy is it to put in a bolt-in yeah. cage from Australia sure. that has been on a boat and a plane and a train and Unfortunately, the bodies of the cars are too much different between right. Australia and yeah. Canada, so you got at least a, yep. a fighting chance. But yeah, yep. safety safety is one of those things that is is almost requiring more attention than it used to. Mm -hmm. um, in part because there's uh, a lot of the tracks are now doing like an equal protection rule. Yeah. So you know if you're the driver and you've got a six point harness mm -hmm. and you have a standard OE three point belt on the passenger side, you can't take a passenger on the track. Right. Um, there's there's a lot of reasons for that which we won't get into, but but what that is what that is bringing is the like if you really want um, to to as yourself as the driver have you know good protection, you've got to bring it for the passenger as well. And so right. at that point, you know in some ways like a four point cage is almost like the best way to start getting in to be able to run yeah. proper belts and stuff at the track. Absolutely, and that kind of stuff, I mean, it makes such a difference from a driver confidence thing, too. Like for Jeanette, I'm excited to see how much that improves just her track times because I used to think that car held you in pretty well, and then yeah. I did like a whole season of my car with harnesses, Yeah. and I, I drive her car like, this is terrifying. I feel yeah. like I'm sitting on top of yeah. a... Uh, so it's uh, hard to go from race seats yeah. and race harnesses back to, to another car and yeah. try and drive aggressively. It feels like you're sitting on top of a bull mashed potato. It, it, it yeah. really feels <laughs> it like you're sitting on top of the car just waiting to fall off of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly... In, and that's as bolstered as a, an FRS seat is, you know. Mm -hmm. and she's not a big frame person, so I know I'm blowing the sides out of that thing like a, a loaded mashed potato. But, yeah. but still, I mean... So I'm excited for her to see her um, lap times drop just from yeah. a driver confidence standpoint. Yeah, I'm not a particularly safe person, yeah. like, but it amazes me that people will drive so aggressively at a track with OEM safety stuff. Oh yeah, right. Like it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, put a helmet on for a track day, or whatever, right? But I mean, I, I don't know, whatever. I, at the risk of coming off like a safety Sally, though, I do, I do wear my Hans and my helmet, yeah. and I mean the gloves I wear just for to maintain that kind of tactile mm -hmm. consistency well, with racing. But it's one of those things where we know the confidence that it's going to give us mm -hmm. in order to yeah. be safe, and that's one of the things that blows my mind is with either NASA time trials or or Grid Life or Global Time Attack that uh, cages or you, you know a lot of the safety is not even required. Mm -hmm. You have 
You go buy. It's a, recommended, but it's not required. Sure, but you yeah. could go buy a, a brand new Camaro ZL1 yeah. making what 500, 600, 670, yes, yeah, and do like 160 miles an hour <laughs> down a back straight with a stock three-point harness and yeah. a helmet on. Yeah, and you can't even wear a harness device with a three-point harness. And 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 that's that's what's interesting with probably within the last five years, definitely the last ten, is that cars have gotten so much faster. Oh yeah. You know, it used to be like supercars made 500 horsepower. Now you can go down to a number of different dealerships and just plunk down, <laughs> you know, well under $100,000 and get a car that does 500 horsepower. Yeah. And that also means that it's the, the speeds that, if you want to take it to the yeah. track, are much higher. Yeah, yeah streetcar now is doing what a race car couldn't do 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. You know. I mean, it's crazy. The McLaren F1 made 400 horsepower back in the mid-90s. Yeah. And now your, uh, your base model Corvette Stingray yeah. Is 408 <laughs> yeah. or something like that, yeah. 460 or whatever it yeah. is. But the McLaren's really cool. It's so cool. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's got a beamer motor, and that's why it's so cool, huh? Because it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that was cool to see that at PRI. Like That yeah. was one of the things that I think is a good takeaway for sure. from a motorsports perspective, people getting into it. And I like to think yeah. that that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get... Yeah. Trying to for get sure. people into it and trying to help pave the way. And it is, it is worth mentioning way. with the bolting cages before you bolt something in, mm -hmm. whatever you're doing with the car, read the rule book and make sure it's Absolutely. flat. So it's, the bolting cages are one of those. I think some organizing bodies are warming up to them. Mm -hmm. Some organizing bodies are, are not warming up to them. And so mm -hmm. you know, don't. It's because they're getting better, though, too. I mean, yeah. like the better tube fists that they have now mm -hmm. um, yeah. for the tube junctions, or it's not like. In the olden days, where it was you slip a tube together and drill a hole through it, and yeah, put a hole yeah. Through it whatever kind of bolt you yeah. had laying around, yeah. right. and and they've got you know plates on the back side, so they've right. got mm -hmm. a, a plate so on the side. But many metal. sanctioning bodies don't allow them, so yeah, it's a good point well, to, but, to but look NASA at. NASA does, fortunately. You can run a bolting roll cage up Pike's Peak. That's yeah. true. That's true. Which <laughs> lows my in in, in yeah. some in some classes. I don't think it's all classes. And motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. No, yes. in, in in time time attack one, but you can run a bolting cage. Two? Oh, it's time attack two. No, because because uh, there's I, a Porsche I, up there. Okay, yeah. But well, then again, all right. Well, we'll just say read the rule book. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, the speed rules. cage rules are pretty Absolutely. vague as it is, but yeah, it, it can yeah. be bolted. Yeah. 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 So NASA, we know that they're legal for, and uh, a lot of things that people don't pay attention to is uh, tube diameter, tube thickness. Yeah. So uh, and a lot of that's related to on the way to the car. Yep. So making sure that's a thing, making sure it's got the sandwich plates, making sure that the sandwich plates are the certain diameter it needs to be, minimum three bolts through each sandwich plate through the car. Type of bolts. Yeah, the type of bolts, the type of hardware, how thick the plates have to be. I mean, those are all those considerations that you know some Joe Schmo was making a roll bar for you, like a bolt-in cage for your Integra, like that you're actually looking at and making sure that it has. The appropriate design elements because yeah. even if it says bolting cages are legal like it says in the nasa rule book there's also about 20 stipulations on what design yeah. elements and design yeah. features they have to have and, and it's worth saying like if you're, if you're going to go the step of trying to add that level of safety mm -hmm. i mean well for one if you're going to then attach your harness to that yeah. bar yeah. then if 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 the worst should happen your safety depends on they, how well that harness yeah. is built, or well, or the cage is built, yeah. um, and that's where a lot of those specifications and requirements mm -hmm. come from. Is, you know, so. Everybody remember the Cusco cage they used to make for the SD thousands, right? Yeah. Those things were just rolling death traps. I mean, and so yeah, yeah. there are uh, there are things like those key elements, you know, 
that they have to still stick by standard wise even the number of bends in certain pipes you yeah. know like your main hoops only allowed four bends and it can be a no more than 180 degrees combined plus or minus 10 degrees so like if you have to make a little pinch yeah. so if you've got a cage it's like really conformed you know they're like going around some silly aspect and there's six right. bends in it that's not legal right so and, i mean and there's reasons for that absolutely so, absolutely so yeah there's definitely if you're gonna if you're going to try and take safety to the next level you mm -hmm. know one you know read the rule book and then mm -hmm. whatever you decide to go with make sure that it fits mm -hmm. all those requirements because if your life depends on it and and the design is not proper i mean Mm -hmm. there, there's been stuff going around there's uh, some video with a guy that was in a crash in his, in his I think it was the harness bar that failed or something oh, the no cape? no it was uh, the, the, the like was the, the clip plates on the belt oh, came man. apart right so he had clip in belts which it was, is a, a normal it was a counterfeit it was a counterfeit right oh, so yeah. like the alloy or something yeah. the stamping of the of the harness clips actually failed sleigh yeah. belts and, yeah. and he was he was you know he wasn't having a great day but he, he obviously lived Right, but it was, I mean, but it he was had to crash scary. to find out that they're going to break. But yeah. when he crashed, he found out they yeah. broke. So, yeah. Pretty scary know. circumstance. So that's where it's it's worth doing the due diligence for any of the safety gear. And you know, the benefit of, in having it is then you can go out on track and you don't have to worry about safety. You know, like, we have and you can race. Happens. And racing yeah. is ultimately why we do anything. Yeah, because yeah. it's the best. Because yeah. it's the best. Because it's yeah. the best. Right. The. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that was a cool thing. And I think, like, the last thing, I mean, I could say about PRI that was yeah. awesome was beyond the connections was the classes. They had uh, basically classes for, oh, yeah. you know, motorsport career, uh, marketing with social media, you know, are your Facebook users cheating on you or, you know, all these different things about. It's so like, like a weird class. But yeah, no I mean, like, in a sense, you know, like, if you're running a marketing company, you know, sure, sure. You know what's happening yeah. there. I mean, everything from that to camshaft uh, specification classes and builds, shock mm. dynoing, I mean, yeah. both technical and, like, marketing and career-oriented classes. I mean, they had those things going on all three days, and yeah. so that was super yeah. cool. I went to several myself, and... Yeah. Uh, and Simi does that as well, cool yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's when you go to these events, they, they've been doing these things for a long time, and, you know, yeah, you can get a lot out of those for sure. Mm -hmm. And so that was pretty cool. Shiny car. Heck yeah. yeah. There wasn't that many cars there, and only a few of them wrecked when they left. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I'm Oof. sure everyone's seen that Volkswagen-looking rat rod thing that basically got really after it. Oh, yeah. And then just okay. went just barrel rolling down the street into a wall or some stuff. And I think a truck got wrecked, but that's well, not too bad. You know, it's pretty good compared to SEMA. Yeah, there you go. Just, no Liberty Walk cars were harmed in the in the production of PRI. Oh, good. good. It's, it's again, it's it's a yeah. They're they're showing the need for safety gear. Yeah, absolutely. They're do, they're okay. doing their due diligence to demo, for demonstration purposes. Well, very cool. And, and Ryan, you you put up a, a video for PRI, so I that's did. on the DSX Motorsports YouTube page. Absolutely, it is. And um, and of course, you can go and see like a million of these videos. So like, what we tried to do one was to kind of capture some of the outside of the moments yeah. and then to kind of highlight some of the companies that I'm talking about right now, yes. kind of kind of highlight them um, and see what I liked about them because there's, I don't even know how many thousands or hundreds anyway of vendors that are there and I think I walked pushing 30 miles wow. throughout the three days there, averaging about 10 sure. miles a day and um, yeah. so yeah, so definitely check that out and you get to see some cool, some cool noises and see some cool parts and stuff that definitely stood out for me that I tried to get through on uh, day three to try and share with everybody so how do you Very see cool. 
you see them because of the sequentials, and as you see those barrels rotating, you hear the satisfying click. Oh, that so great. Going yeah, in. yeah, that little yeah. snag. Nice. So, well, well, speaking of cool, cool cars and cool stuff, I mean, I think the other thing I wanted to at least touch base on here is what Roger Clark has been doing, mm -hmm. which is releasing a picture every day for December, revealing the new Gobstopper 3 build. Yeah. So, what, I mean, have you guys had a chance to, to look at some of those? We've been yeah. collecting them all into a blog <laughs> on the Pretty website. Pretty much saving all of them for later. Yeah. You know, like, taking real big screenshots. Yeah. Yeah. Just something to, you know, keep around. Yeah, I mean, uh, everything from some of the photos I think are just sneaky, where they like sneak something that's so hidden that the, yeah, it's like the a distract. Yep. So it's like one of the examples is the front differential that was only in one picture, and it was actually like where they had the engine and its mock-up mock engine that didn't even have a crank in it or cams, yeah. the mock-up engine inside the frame, and the, the, I don't know if the wheels were even on it, but talking yeah. about essentially... The efforts are going through to uh, build the chassis and sneaking right up front there is a differential yeah only thing i've seen even remotely relating to whether or not it's going to be all-wheel drive it, it is yeah. besides the fact that they put that in one of their posts they, it was going to be all well that that they didn't have it in any of the taglines they had it in the comments when somebody talked about it well but, it, it, they mentioned it at some point in one of the one of the more recent ones that it but it is yeah. they have confirmed that it's all-wheel drive so yeah, like so that was that picture was day five, I think. I so they're, they're doing an advent calendar style, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think I think New, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day is when they're going to uh, to actually do the final reveal of the the complete car. The yeah. point is that the picture is not just of whatever is in the foreground. Mm -hmm. There's it's, cool stuff in the background. You gotta take a yeah. look, and that's what I mean. Like I'm yeah. screenshotting them, and blowing them up. Yeah. So you so, can see all the cool stuff in the background that they're hiding, or not even. You know, trying that hard to hide. Yeah, they're not trying that hard to hide it, I guess, but they're not highlighting it either. But every single part of that car is cool to break down and look mm -hmm. through. It's so. what what's cool about this car to me is you know Gobstopper One was based on a GC chassis car, and it I would say, I mean I know that there's a lot that went into it, but it was basically they started with the GC, call it a street car, and they mm -hmm. turned it into a fast time attack car. Yeah, and then with Gobstopper Two, they got Basically, once Subaru pulled out of the WC, they got a, a Pro Drive shell that you know something that was destined to be a race car, but yeah. didn't didn't make it into production that they got, and then they finished the production. They built a really badass time attack car out of that shell, mm -hmm. and now with Gobstopper Three, it's it's a tube chassis car, and I know that they've been working on it at least two years, probably held probably longer than that, and it is a complete ground up tube chassis like purpose-built car to just go out there and just, it looks like just, you know, shatter track Every, records. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just from from the, the construction, the weight savings, I mean, the aero that they've got yeah. going on in this thing is insane. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Andrew Brilliant Aero. Yep. Um, yeah, and uh, the chassis, uh, what they say the chassis weighs about 300 pounds. They said it's less than that. It's like 250. Yeah. 280. 280. For the, for the, just for, for the, the, the two bars. Frame. Yeah. For the two frames. So, I mean, that's everything that the engine's bolting to, the suspension's yeah. bolting to, and that's actually all uh, they've got their FIA search for, too. So, not only did they yeah. build it, just, you know, oh, we're going to build this, the Lancia cage bed out of, yeah. you know, paper mache. Yeah. They actually sent it and had it certified on top of that to make sure that it was safe enough with the, within it the design scope. Surpassed yep. FIA standards, yep. yeah. 
So that's that's super cool. I mean, it's so. I mean, <laughs> if if you're curious at all, you've got to go to our blog section to search for Gobstopper mm-hmm. three, and you'll you'll find it all. But probably by the time this goes up, you'll almost all of them will be up there. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's just you know, nine hundred horsepower. They they haven't posted an official weight, but we're guessing it's going to be something in the one one pound or one horsepower per kilogram range. Yeah. So probably nine hundred kilos. I would guess yeah. is their target, maybe less. I mean. Like a one-to-one car. Yeah, yeah, and maybe less, maybe less. Yeah, I'm I'm suspicious. I think it's going to be around my my personal prediction. All right. Just a skosh under two thousand pounds. That's just my prediction. Um, that doesn't mean anything though. But and, and it is a BRZ chassis. It's it's going to like yeah, the, what they call it is the silhouette is a BRZ. Yeah. Yep. So it's so it's shorter. It's you know I think well, it's, yeah. I think total width is six feet, or two meters, which I think yeah. is just a touch wider than six feet. Um, yeah, so it's it's going to be a small little car that doesn't weigh a whole lot. That's mm-hmm. packing a punch. And this block that they're using, it's an EJ20G or something, or 20Y? Yeah, 20K. 20K? 20K. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. I mean, factory closed deck. Yeah. So they're running Nikosa liners that they installed, but it's still in the factory Subaru closed deck. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. amazing, but, I think. But this is, you know, from the, it's a version 3, version 4, STI engines, but it's based on. Okay. So it has to be version three, version four heads, and and the twenty mm-hmm. k block. It looks like the same kind of base that they use for a lot of like Group A and WRC stuff. Yeah. At the same yeah. time too, and they're using some similar technology. It looks like with the gas rings and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's that's one of those things you can see in that. Uh, I don't know what day it was. Day nine. They got a nice shot of the deck, yeah. and you can see the Nikosa liners. You can see the O-ring cut for the fire ring, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. And then right above it, you can see those little uh, pressure, those pressure ports, yeah. kind of like they use in yeah. the head gasketless WRC cars, where they monitoring yeah. how much combustion escape is coming out of the cylinder, if at all, yeah. and if dialing it, it back. Escapes. Yeah. I mean that's insane, right? I mean <laughs> that's the difference in finishing maybe a record-setting time. And not finishing at all, right? You well, and, and so I've I've had a chance to bounce a bunch of questions off them about the engine. So I've actually, if you if you search for Gobstopper three on the Flatirons Tuning website, there's a whole another mm-hmm. blog post that's more details on the engine. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's basically Roger Clark started with the S14 WRC engine. The engine was in the 2008 WRC Subaru car, and they've got 10 years of development on. On that S14 yeah. engine, but so like you know, no head gaskets using yeah. the Nikosil liners, the using an in-canal O-ring to seal the combustion chamber, yeah. um, and and just like their dual timing belts. Yeah. So they started off with you know what what the WRC was running, and they've continued to refine the dual timing belt setup. It's I mean the engine that that they're running in this car, it, it's basically what was in Gobstopper two. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got a lot of actual like race experience with the engine mm-hmm. uh, in you know at basically this power level um, mm-hmm. and for time attacks so I, I think as much development as they've done to the chassis they, they kind of to some extent stuck with a known quantity for the engine yeah you know because I mean well, I've heard a lot of people too saying yeah. that it seems like there's a lot going into this motor too much going into it for only 900 horsepower 
And I think that this again brings up that motorsport grade versus high performance grade yeah. thing, mm -hmm. where there are thousand horsepower Subarus out there without dual timing belts, without gas ring heads and stuff like that. But they're mm -hmm. not motorsport grade. It's not a motorsport thousand horsepower. It's mm -hmm. a high performance thousand horsepower. Yeah. It's doing it for one dyno run and then it's going away, yeah. as opposed to having to do it over and over and be serviceable and reliable. Um, mm -hmm. And that's. I don't know if there's anyone listening that's thinking to themselves, man, this seems like a lot of deal. I think, you know, everything out there has a thousand horsepower nowadays. And, and, but there's a difference, right? There's a difference between a drag car making 900 horsepower or a I-25 highway puller making a 900 horsepower and a race car making 900 horsepower. It's a completely different world of, of needs in that mm -hmm. engine, right? It's a yeah. different world of stresses. Mm -hmm. yeah. so. and, I, and I think that's where, I mean, Gobstopper 2, I think, was right in this ballpark for power. So I, I, I don't think that there's a whole lot different for the Gobstopper 3 engine for Gobstopper right. 2. But they, I mean, they ran Gobstopper 2 and had tons of success with that car mm -hmm. for a number of years. So they, they really have a handle on how reliable it is, what the service interval is. You know, basically in talking to them, and I'm paraphrasing, but it, basically they know that they can run a full season on the engine before they have to tear it down and inspect it. They've 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 got enough experience with it that that's they yeah. know they can go a whole season. It seems like a well developed package. Yeah. You know, like, oh yeah. They have a nice. I say I read that article <coughs> that you're talking about, and I was so excited about this uh, dual timing belt system, and now my heart's crushed. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. like that build a plate that they have, the second tensioner on. Yeah. I mean that's all machined parts into the head to yeah. accept that long nose crank i don't even know if that's an oe thing at all it's not an OE thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah like like yeah. oh man like there's, i can only just appreciate the picture there's a ton of bespoke parts that, that go into that mm -hmm. and it's it's not as yeah. simple as ordering it up and installing it it's yeah. like yeah, I, 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 you're not the thing. only one many people have wished like oh i can just retrofit this easily onto my car no yeah not, covers not even even the yeah. valve covers are unique to that yeah. setup. But what what's interesting, kind of along those lines, that's interesting to note is like the 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 two liter WX, right? The new the new two liter WX starting with fifteen on the F engine, it's dual timing chains. Really. So you start mm. looking at this. This is an EJ engine, obviously, but the new F engine does have the dual timing chains, and the mm -hmm. STI is getting some version of the direct injected FA engine yeah. in 2021. Um, yeah, I mean it's there's it it it's a little off into the weeds, but so we we talked about sequentials earlier on. Mm -hmm. And in one of the one of the places where the dual timing belts come from. There there's there's multiple pieces to that. But one of the places is just what can happen with sequential transmission. And like you have a, a race car, the speed of the shifts and you know, an EJ engine has a really long timing belt. Belt slap, mm -hmm. belt slap, harmonic and, even. Yeah. And it's just you know, you know if they if you have like a one thousand percent stretch on a belt and the belt is you know a foot and a half circumference, mm -hmm. you know that's a very small amount. But when you've got a timing belt that's yeah, geez, I don't know what the <laughs> circumference of a timing belt is. Probably like five feet or something. Yeah. Like that. Feet. You know, there's there's a lot more deflection there. So there's yeah. there's a lot of a lot of what Subaru is running into at the end of their, their run in WRC when they started to bring in the sequential transmissions and whatnot is where this, in part, the dual timing belts come from. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of wonder if 
one of the reasons that Subaru's been hesitant to put a sequential in a streetcar is they knew that there were some limitations with the standard EJ series engine yeah. when they started to run to the sequentials that required some changes like the dual timing belt. And I just wonder if, well, maybe if we get a dual timing chain that is a little bit more consistent and is very similar to the dual timing belt mm -hmm. thing that's on the gobstopper, maybe that'll knock down one more barrier uh, to, to get Subaru to, to put it in the car. <coughs> yeah. I don't know, it'll be interesting. Another thing that I don't think they really talked about that much was the intake manifold. Um, yeah. The intake manifold is yeah. crazy. I, you know, I wish it was dual uh, throttle bodies. But yeah. However, I mean, it looks like they've done a lot between increasing the velocity, about yeah. having full disconnected radiuses, like the radius looks like it's intentional, the yeah. shape looks like it's intentional, the size of the plenum above it looks like it's intentional. Yeah. This is on Gobstopper 3. On the Gobstopper 3, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think they would do anything unintentional. Well, <laughs> except for unintentionally leave us with one throttle body. Well, so what, what's interesting, too, in that regard, if you really pour through the pictures, that's, and there's a, I would say, it must be like an early prototype in one of the very mm -hmm. first pictures of the engine, Yeah. where they have a silver intake manifold, yeah. and then the actual production, or the final version, it's, it's a black uh, intake manifold or the, the upper section of it but it's it's also a significantly different design yeah i mean you can see that from the silver one it's a lot steeper angle on the the plenum boxes and a larger volume and also. yeah and the volume well the volume on the silver one is a lot smaller than the yep. volume on the i'm guessing you're going to call it the 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 one they're going to run the black one yeah yeah so uh, definitely interesting i mean i i would not be at all surprised if I, I would be. I would actually say that I would be surprised if they had not had this engine on an engine dyno to actually test a lot yeah. of these, like the long runner intake manifold design, and and probably realize, even in CFD even. Sure. You know, you can do a lot of this pre work in CFD for sure. Yeah, it, it's funny. So I mean, so we just talked about Gobstopper one, Gobstopper two, all this, all this engineering that's going into Gobstopper three, mm -hmm. and as as we've done more to try and let people know about Roger Clark Motorsports and what they do, mm -hmm. one of the questions that does come up is, well, this is a new company, right? How long have these guys been around? <laughs> it's like, well, this is not a new company. But then you start to, if you really pay attention to all the stuff with Gobstopper three and the development, like this is also these guys are. Man, their attention to detail is insane, yeah. and they do they do some real deal engineering of, you know, for for projects like this for their parts. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of thought, a lot of engineering, um, a lot of purpose behind everything that they do. You think uh, they're going to produce this motor as like a uh, a comeback to the IAG stage block? I mean, the guy listed here is the RCM 900. Well, <laughs> spend thirty I will, grand. I, <laughs> I, I would, I would say, if you wanted one and and you had the the financial means, I don't doubt that they would build you one. Yeah. But um. Well, there's some stuff you yeah. change though, right? Like that exhaust is set up for their application. Yeah, for that drive shaft to run through there. Right. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you <laughs> go go and look at where they put this engine in the car. It's an armrest. Like, I mean, it, let's let's be honest here. Yeah. You could probably store your box of cheeses in the inlet manifold. Like, you probably gotta have a scatter shield for that turbo so the driver doesn't eat. Actually, they do. Like it, it, do. They they yeah. uh, they make, it's a carbon Kevlar shield that goes over the whole thing. Not to mention they're also measuring the speed of it too. Yeah, yeah. Right. that that's that's actually becoming more and more common. Sure. Yeah. 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 But I don't think precision has an issue with the turbine blow parts like the Borg Warners do, but. 
Uh, well, it, it's it goes back to just turbo efficiency. Too. Everything has a failing point though, and that failing yeah. point is in the driver's lap, pretty much. It's in his ear. Yeah. 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 Well, whispering no, sweet nothings. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Melt nothings the, into his uh -huh. ear. The turbo is in the passenger compartment. Yeah. I think that basically the transmission runs along the driver's like hip and knee, basically, is, is where it looks like it's placed. As I mean, far as, yeah, like in the the scheme of things. It's yeah. front, front mid-engine. Yeah. That's what it's it, worth it, saying. For now, I mean, hasn't seen the pictures and is yeah. asking what the hell I mean, they still offset, they offset still, front mid-engine. Offset yeah. front mid-engine. Yeah. I mean, it's offset of the driver, I'm assuming, at this point. I mean, yeah. look, there's the bell housing. Yeah, it's right. like basically where your right foot would be in the in the floorboard there. So, yeah. I mean, still no pictures of it with the transmission on it. They're sneaky no. little... Yeah. English buggers, man, they're really making me hold out here. Oh yeah, here it is. Morris Morris Advantage Four Wheel Drive System on day seventeen. Yeah, they made us wait. Yeah. Made us wait well, twelve well, days. Well, no, they they said that it's all wheel drive, but they've not shown any details right. as how it's all wheel drive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Isn't that part of the transmission right there? That's it that is. bell housing adapter that they have. So that's uh, not the actual transmission. Well, and they they showed the bell housing adapter with the the day after the clutch. Yeah. The uh, right. is it an AP but, clutch? So we uh, can run Alcon. It, Alcon we yeah. joked about it, but we can pique some interest with this too. That motor is exactly where a front drive shaft would have to be to get to that front differential. Mm -hmm. So, time attack nerds might know that there's already other options for getting power up there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. It's, it, almost certainly it's going to be a transfer case. I'm guessing that that's in part some of the rationale for placing the engine the way that they did yeah. to make room for a transfer case. To come off the transmission so that they can send power to the front. Assuming it's going to be like a Cyvec or a Sedev or something. Who knows? Because both of those are doing uh, um, transfer cases, basically drive shaft four transfer cases, mm -hmm. bolting onto their yeah. little tiny kegs, keg boxes. I. They have mentioned something to the effect that that it was going to be a totally unique design. So I I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. I would not be entirely surprised if they've worked with somebody that, like, what is in this car is totally unique. But yeah, that's true. Who knows? So why do you think they did not go with Rocket Anti-Lag? And why do you think they did not go with a laid-down turbo to shorten up some of that? They do have Anti-Lag, though, but it's not a it's Rocket. It's Anti-Lag. It's full, like, fully air-injected Anti-Lag, yeah. it looks so, like. So what they said is they've been, they've been talking to some of the guys that are building cars for the current... Uh, rallycross series in Europe mm -hmm. and and I guess this is what those those rallycross cars are using this system where basically it's an anti-leg valve mm -hmm. so it think it's a valve instead of the blow off valve right that mm -hmm. instead of sending right. air off to the atmosphere it actually sends that pressurized charge into the manifold mm -hmm. right and that's and that's what those the exhaust are. as a combustion chamber but it's yeah. not a truly optimized combustion chamber in the yeah. turbine sense of things like yeah. rocket anti-leg was for the S12 car and stuff like that, WRC back in the day. So the rocket, it made more power more quickly, but it was it became a restriction in the, the upper RPM that. range. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, and I, I'm guess I'm, I don't quote me on this, but I think Golf Shepard 2 revved to 10,000. I'm oh, not 100% nice. <laughs> sure, but no I nitrous. I, yeah. <laughs> so. So I think they're, I mean, because this is a two-liter engine. That's also yeah. worth mentioning. It's not stroked or anything. Right. That is a 92 millimeter pistons in that thing, yeah. yeah. So, they're, they're, I mean, to make 900 horsepower out of a two-liter, you're going to have to rev it a bit. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like they're probably going to rev it a bit. And so, yeah, if the rocket would be too much of a restriction, yeah. that would definitely be a part factor. 
and the intake manifold suggests that they're gonna they're shooting for top like top RPM speed too. Yeah. In that promo video that they did last year, the teaser, yeah. where they're showing kind of the dyno numbers, they don't show the RPM on it at all. Yeah. Right? They show just like it's essentially it's power curve somewhat. Yeah. And yeah. it's uh, peak power, and I think it was like 900 something crank. Yeah. You can sort of eyeball that based on where the lines cross. I think they were like even sneakier than that. Oh, really? Yeah, it was. It yeah. was really, really not. I think they a, only showed power, didn't they? Did they, they showed the power, and they showed just like like the last yeah. tiny, like say the last 10 percent yeah. of the graph where it peaked, but yeah. no like yeah. horizontal lines, no reference, none of that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it could be could be nine thousand, could be ten thousand, could be I mean, seventy five hundred. Got us talking about it, so it works. Yeah, that's true. Guess, yeah. Whatever their strategy was. Yeah. So yeah, that's my guess, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how it all works. Talking about to kind of bounce off of the last podcast we had, um, it's kind of awesome, and even ones that we talked about before, they're taking basically kind of a, what they know to be a proven engine design mm -hmm. and now they're doing like a completely new suspension aero package brakes everything design just shows you like it's more than one way to go fast like oh yeah we had 900 horsepower before you know 750 cr uh, wheel like there's a whole other way to go fast now and the aero package yeah. you know being a big player in that way it's like it was designed from square one with aero in mind. 100%. It looks like it was designed from square one with a good suspension design yeah. with heave springs and yeah. the whole nine yards. With, with the suspension so. designed to be able to stand up to massive downforce. Mm -hmm. I mean, the freaking heave springs, shocks, have remote reservoirs on them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. How do you even yeah. test that? <laughs> like, uh, does yeah, that feel good? Like, yeah. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. I was terrified <laughs> for my life. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. Just. Who, who the heck knows? But, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys know how wide a tire they're running? It's uh, huge. I know that the wheels are 18 by 12. Cool. But I, I don't know what tires they're Did running. you see that the wheels inlaid say Gobstopper 3? Yep. Like forged into the, the rim of the yeah, wheel? They're, they're custom, completely custom bespoke wheels. Yeah. Because it's at the center, center lock. Yeah. Yeah, look at these things, dude. Gobstopper 3. Look at that fitment. Yeah, the fitment. <laughs> Super crazy. I mean, it's just there's that six piston Alcon though that you can bit, get for your regular STI. That is no, because <laughs> the, they're the carbon cause, brakes. The yeah, they're carbon brakes. carbon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought they were going not carbon carbon for warm up times. I thought they were going carbon ceramic or something like that. No, oh, was it not one of these? Carbon ceramic. Was that what they talked about in the teaser video? Because the teaser video is really more about the brake system more than anything. Yeah, they mentioned something. It might have been another teaser if it wasn't one of these advent pictures. I thought it, that you're they... You're right, though. Because they were concerned about warm-up times warm and not going too hard on their in-lap. Yeah. Or out-lap, rather. Yeah. Um, and, you know, wearing other stuff out. Yeah. Just on the out-lap. Having to really worry about brake temps on the out-lap. I thought yeah. I heard that. It could be. No, no, you're right. I, yeah. I, I think uh, in the break post they mentioned the exact same thing. But it's something that it, it gets tacky real quick. Yeah. So, so um, on that subject of tires and kind of talking about aero, I mean, we see we talked about it a couple weeks ago at uh, about World Time Attack, like the kind of load that these tires are going to see are going to be just. Ryan here has an estimate for total downforce weight. On yeah. The car. To be about like a fully loaded downforce with weight included of the car, I'm estimating about ten thousand pounds. Right. So on, yeah, on like whenever pressure. Whenever Ollie hears this, he can confirm nor deny it. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I, this is how I put it together. 
Yeah. They said that the, the rear wing is capable of 2,200 kilograms of downforce, which is approaching 5,000 pounds, right? Yeah. Then, in day 16, they talk about how the AMD aero package generates 47% of total aero downforce from the front splitter, floor area, and rear diffusers. So 47% with the rear spoiler being 53% of that. I mean, yeah. that's got to be putting it around that 8,000 pounds potential, you know, downforce. Yeah just with downforce in general yeah. if they, if that's i mean maybe they're not going to run the rear spoiler that aggressive you know their maximum it, it could be a maximum set but yeah Probably but, but still i mean i think it's well going to be more than double what the car static weight is for Actually, sure it says right here the wing working in conjunction with the front splitter oh. everything makes 2200 kilograms oh man uh, you, you Reading comprehension. I'm from <laughs> Kentucky, man. What do you expect? But, but well, that's, that's well still. even then, if it's even if it's five thousand pounds instead of ten, yeah, like still the guess double. is that it's, it's probably going to weigh two thousand pounds. It, it can static still drive weight. upside down in a tunnel. Which not even very hard. <laughs> not even going crazy speed. Yeah, one hundred sixty. Not even men in black speed to do it. Yeah. yeah. So faster than the uh, the DeLorean though. Yeah. Yeah, that was 88. That's future. hard. It's hard to make double your <laughs> weight of the car at 88 miles an hour. But so back to the the load on the tires. Even at you know 5,000, 5,500 pounds of downforce it's on still those tires, yeah. the only thing touching the ground, and like we're talking, you know, the weight of a full size truck at that point. <laughs> yeah. But doing 160 plus miles an yeah. hour around corners, probably pulling two maybe three g's yeah two for sure well and in that, that i mean back to the design of the car mm -hmm. you're going to have you're going to target that kind of an aero package you're going to mm -hmm. try and make that much downforce you're going to have i mean basically the weight of a full-size truck on the suspension in a car that weighs two thousand pounds yeah i mean you a, a production vehicle is you're probably going to be hard pressed if it's even possible to modify the suspension alone to yeah. stand up to that so that's where you're like it, it's all a ground up build mm -hmm. to to this level because they, they knew what the performance target was from from a, a, a downforce standpoint from a weight standpoint um, and then so they had to just basically start from a blank slate and build the car to it yeah well and I'm sure like tires in mind is one of the first places they started when sure. designing this so not not this last World Time Attack, but the one before, there was that red, it was either an FT86 or a BRZ, I want to say it was an HKS something or other, yeah. but it wasn't allowed to compete, it had to run in like an exhibition class, and mostly because the car was designed around running a certain spec yeah. tire and with a certain spec tire. load, yeah. Yeah. and so it couldn't compete on the, the standard Yokohamas that are spec'd for mm -hmm. even unlimited class, and you know, again, that's another car that was probably five, six thousand pounds of downforce. Yeah. And so knowing... And I think Andrew Brilliant did the arrow for that, too. Yeah, yeah. he did. But it brings up a thing we've mentioned a couple times now, and maybe we're just going to take credit for being really smart about this. Always start with what series or what you want to do with the car. Read that rule book. Right. And then build from there. Right? I'm yeah. sure that they thought to themselves, well... What do we want to do with Gobstopper three, and then they build yeah. from there, right? I think for, I think for them, I think that they said, uh, "Hey, what should we do with the Gobstopper 3? And then the the, the general consensus was, "Dominate yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. want to do yeah. we want to do it all better than anything and everything yeah. else." I that F one car, yeah. 
Like, they have rules they have to play by, and these guys aren't playing by the same rules. Yeah. Granted, so, they're close fender car, but still. Yeah. And I, I know that Time Attack, I mean, that's, for, for honestly, I'd be curious <coughs> what drew them to Time Attack in the first place. But obviously, with Gobstopper cars, that's been their ta yeah. their their focus. And what what's amazing with Time Attack is that you have these guys at Roger Clark building a car to this level, mm -hmm. and then you start to see some of the cars that are in in World Time Attack, mm -hmm. like the uh, the the Porsche 968 yeah. is there, like the the Toyota 86 HKS record attempt or mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, like there's 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 getting to be some just absolutely complete. Insane builds yeah. that are that are well, built to just it's the relaxed rule set I think sure that really and so you look at most factory motorsport efforts are in relatively tightly controlled classes right Formula One is extremely tightly controlled even though it mm -hmm. seems crazy to us right they're constantly running into and breaking rules and that's part mm -hmm. of the sport of Formula One is pushing those rules right and then you take you take that same mindset of like purpose built bespoke race cars and you apply it to a looser rule set yeah. and it blows everybody's mind and you start to see what's really popular or possible yeah and you see that with a lot of the world time attack stuff and what's going on there and even they have outside the exhibition class with their spec tire and stuff you know there's a big leveling force there yeah but on the extreme end of things look at porsche with the 919 evo right yeah they yeah. took what was otherwise a pretty controlled class of car and they said well um, as a farewell, we're going to, uh... Go out there and we're smash go crazy, over right? all my records. Spice yeah. the hell out of it. Let's, uh, you know, we're, you can, uh... It's like they say, you can show up to drunk, or show up to work drunk once. Yeah. They yeah. just did that on their, on their <laughs> way out, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, that's, where I, that's where I messed up on Monday. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so yeah. they, uh... They decided on their way out just to see what was possible. And, uh, well, you know... And, and that was just modifying a car that was built to a very specific rule class right. and then just kind of taking the, the cork off of the, mm -hmm. the power right. limits. And, and I understand, you know, it, it makes for better sustainability of a competitive series to have restrictive classes, right? Well, it, it, it's it the helps. difference of you have multiple cars that are trying to race against each other, and it's in, like in Formula One or most motorsports, it's who crosses the finish line first that wins. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you've got 20 cars out there that are all trying to cross the finish line first, you've right. got to have, kind of it's keep them under wraps. Better for to us to see close racing, yeah. right? But time attack, it's who goes the fastest, period. Right. period. Qualifying lap after qualifying lap. Yeah. Yeah, right, and, which is, and, I think it's really awesome. I mean, it, and yeah. there aren't a and, lot and, of other venues for that. And what so what Scotty said, like, a lot of road racers, that's the that's the ding I hear against time attack is well it's just a qualifying lap. You know, that's we, we run the actual race instead of just being a qualifying lap. Yeah. But then Formula One, they're two to three seconds faster a lap in qualifying than they ever will put down that lap yeah. in the actual well, race. Well and, and what I was gonna say is time attack to this level and even like not not to this level, to a couple steps below this level. It's it's realizing okay I need to put down the fastest lap time one one fast lap that is the fastest lap time that I possibly can do that the car can possibly do, mm -hmm. and once you once you have that mindset, and that's where the driving comes from and that's where the design comes from in the car that's where the lack of rule set all of a sudden brings in all this innovation yeah like it's building a car and and figuring out what you can do with with that kind of almost limitless rules mm -hmm. or, or more, much more limitless rules but also like the way that it's the way that you're running 
it just it opens up so many possibilities mm -hmm. and that's that's where this insane engineering comes in yeah i was watching um the m1 concourse footage from last year um mm -hmm. motivicity when uh, the can-am car the can jam car just basically won everything yeah and uh one of the things that they were talking about some of the drivers there i can't remember if it was james houghton or who it was but they're saying sometimes you go out in a car and it blows up on the third run or it will blow up on the, and you just yeah. know that's how it's going to be because you're it's like so sometimes some of these runs if you don't blow them up are you're spending 500 to a thousand dollars per lap that you put down because yeah. you're not going to be able to go the whole weekend like you've got to go in there, get in there, break the lap record or whatever, and then sit idly by your car and hope that nobody else does it. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I I personally witnessed that last year uh, when Will All Young went out in his Civic, and practice essentially. And Grid Life, they're pretty nice that they'll they'll count those times as part of the competition times, and they went out and basically smashed the overall time like Grid Life time attack record, yeah. and they didn't pull they didn't start the car up for the rest of the weekend until it's time to put it on the trailer. Mm. And it was kind of sad. From like my perspective, like as not both being able to watch it, again. not being able to watch yeah. it again, yeah. But at the same point in time, it might have saved them fifteen, twenty thousand dollars on a build. Exactly. Yeah. You know, or, and uh, or he could have put it into the wall then. Yeah. Which would have cost him the car. Yeah. Which so. that stuff happens. I mean, that did happen to Will this year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so, so yeah. There, there's a lot to time attack. <laughs> yeah. Once once you get to it's it's not just a, a race car that you're trying to go for like one fast lap. Once mm -hmm. you start actually developing the car. Mm -hmm with a time attack rule set in mind, that's where all of a sudden, like, things change and they, they change quick. And, yeah. and again, like, the innovation is, is just, it's, it's, it's almost like the new, like, test bed for all these, these crazy ideas for aero, for engine, for power. Racers. Yeah, that uh, OG ricers. <laughs> yeah, time attack. Time to bring it back around here. Yeah, yeah. throwback there. Yeah. Episode one, throwback. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, that's what I like about the hill climb class that I run into yeah. is the same way. Because, yeah, it's a rally-based class, but it's an uncorked rally-based class. Yeah. So I can do aerodynamic and power modifications to my car and weight-saving modifications. I don't have a minimum weight that I have to make either. Um, so I, I can do that same innovation that otherwise is hamstrung by, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. class rules that want to make, you know, competitive, not spending war kind of competitions. Um, but, yeah, and you have people chasing you down now because of some of the, you, you know, the, the brainstorming you do sitting in your garage <laughs> at night drinking beer. Yeah. Like, if I add this little piece of aluminum angle <laughs> right here, uh -huh. I could reduce reduce drag or create a little well, bit of downforce and and there's a couple more hill climb specific cars now than there were a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm hoping more people start getting you know yeah. if, if at one point before i was in it it was bigger and there were more of the you know um production based cars that were coming out in hill climbing like not the open wheel cars and stuff mm -hmm. And then for a couple, like when I got into the hill climbing thing, it was a lot of rally cars. There were some weren't even taking their restrictors out. Um, you know, even if they were, they were still running their small frame turbos and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And and now there's a, um, you know, another guy that's gotten kind of perked back up into it, hill climb style. And a couple more cars are showing up that are built specifically for the Colorado hill climbs, as opposed to rally. And then also just kind of dabble in some hill climbs. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's been it's been cool because we're all you know grassroots budget guys too so 
you know, it can't become a spending war because none of us have enough money to go to war. Yeah, um, right. So, right. you know, we have to get, you know, creative and push hard and, and stuff like that. And You guys are more competing for the uh, three-quarter inch aluminum angle iron at your local, right. uh, your yeah. local Home Depot. That's right. the competition. Whatever. <laughs> Every time it's, we uh, talk about your arrow, all I can think about is like, he's just got a lot of aluminum, a lot of aluminum yeah, angle iron laying around. Well, you've got to make it work for you. And it works. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. Well, uh, somebody said, um, you know, old school Dan Gurney maybe or something like that. Yeah. All cars are in ground effect, but not all cars take advantage of it. Yeah. So. Mm. Pretty crazy. The air is there and it's free. You can yeah. drive yeah. through it whether you know or whether you want whether to or you're not. Using so, it. Yeah, yeah, whether you're using so, it or not. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, it's just yeah. So got chapter three, awesome car, oh, yeah. time attack. Awesome. Yeah, let's let's circle back. Yeah, so PRI. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then uh, semi truck arrow. That's a big thing. Yeah, yeah. right. The uh, I don't know. This maybe this is the uh, official RCM call out. Let's get those guys up here to Pikes Peak Hill Climb. See what see them just destroy it. You know, just have Volkswagen shake it in their boots, and then after that. We do a little meet and greet with those guys. That would be so much fun. And, and then, then they could just leave the car here. Yeah, me and Tasso can do our final driver shootout. Yeah. See who's, yeah. Actually yeah. Yeah. who's actually the fastest in an unbiased okay. car. Grid yeah. life, yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. called yeah. Gobs Chapter Three. That that's the neutral setting. Yeah, that's, that's the, the neutral summer. setting. That's yeah. kind of like that's the uh, base. That's the that's base. Baseline. Baseline. I think yeah. Probably if they don't do it, do they even really care about grassroots motorsports? Yeah. You know, well, this little guy's here just maybe, maybe not. fighting right. over aluminum, and that's right. Oh, well, yeah. So, open invitation, to Roger Clark. Yes, if if you come to Pikes Peak, there will be a garage for you at Flatirons too. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I mean, one well, of the one of the shitbox out of here. Yeah, one of the only RCM internet dealers in the country. That's right. In the United right. States, we're we're yeah. uh, we're big fans for we sure. Keep it real. Yeah, yeah. keeping it real. So, well, oh, man, I think. Uh, that wandered. Yeah. <laughs> that that that, is, that is meandered, but I think we've landed at a good spot, and yeah. uh, I think let's let's call that good for this episode. Sounds so, awesome. Yeah, thanks guys for listening. I mean, with any luck, I should knock some wood on this, but but soon you'll be able to listen to the podcast on iTunes even if, yeah. if that's a, if that's a preference at all. So if you aren't already, if you aren't already, ooh, <laughs> now now the pressure's on me to make yeah, that. Happen. A couple of years from now, someone's going to be listening to this. Like, can you imagine these guys were so humble and they weren't famous? It's going to yeah. be us. Yeah. It's gonna we're going to be like, remember before we turned into a bunch of washed up potheads and now yeah. we're just listening to it back from the good old days when we were pro race car drivers. Uncle Rico over here. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, right on. so I don't know what's going to happen next. We're coming into the holidays, but um, I don't know. We'll, we'll sit down here again and... Probably see you in 2020. 2020, yeah. Yeah, hear us. Flatirons yeah. Tuning Syndicate is, is taking over 2020. That's right. Yeah. And uh, this is Ryan Dustick from DSX Motorsports. Tasso from OTC Racing. That's right. Yep. Scotty from his yeah, chair. Mom. <laughs> Scotty from his mom. Birth. Oh, yeah. From the birthing hips of his mother. <laughs> his mama, mama Musgrove. It just it just got weird, so we're gonna end it there. So thanks for watching, cool. and uh, and stay tuned. All right, that was episode three of the podcast. Hopefully, you guys liked it. Um, thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for sticking around to the end. Um, yeah, it just uh, by, the, by the time this goes up, like I said, hopefully it'll be on iTunes. It's going to be right around the holidays, so hopefully you guys all have a good holiday season. And, um, and uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening, and stay tuned.